We doing okay today? Yeah? All right. Hey, um, I just wanted to get, we're, we are finishing something. We've been going verse by verse through the book of James. And now we're at this part of, the, of our service or our time together in James. We're going to conclude the book. And we have two verses today to get through, and, to, and it's a, it's a, it ends with a bang. It ends with kind of an abrupt bang here. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn to James chapter 5, verse 19. James chapter 5, verse 19, and we'll read verses 19 and 20. And if you don't have that, you don't have an app or whatever, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. So let's read James chapter 5 as we conclude our study verse by verse through the book of James. James chapter 5, 19 says this, My brothers, my fellow believers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a break in the norm. Most of the time, New Testament letters ended with greetings to people. Go look at the book of Romans. The end of the, end of the book of Romans, Paul greets like, it seems like a thousand people that all have weird names. And he's talking about, talk about this person, see this person. And so that's, there's usually that, and then there's usually this blessing or benediction of praise to God. But this sermon ends with, uh, if anyone is wandering away from the truth, bring him back, and here's what will happen to the person who's brought back. He'll know forgiveness, restoration. And he, he ends it with a bang. And this shows us something about James's letter. This most likely was meant to be read in a church gathering, much like ours, but thousands of years ago, of those people in the church coming together, and they were going to read this letter like a sermon. And there wasn't, there wasn't greetings. If you ended a sermon with like a time of greeting or talking about people and, and saying that kind of stuff, it wouldn't be that great of a sermon. What do you want when you hear somebody preach God's Word? You want somebody to show you in the Word what it means and show you how to apply it to your life, and that's exactly what James is doing, and he's been talking to these people about so many issues, and now he gets to the very end. He says, like, again, put your faith into action. If you see someone wandering away from the truth, bring them back. Work to bring them the wanderer back. And so in ending this, this we see here, most likely this was read in churches, just straight up the whole, the whole thing as a sermon, and people were, at the very end of it were called to action. So we're in it this morning, we are called to action, and here is our call to action. It's to be ministers of restoration. All Believers in the local church body are called to be not only ministers of reconciliation that Paul talks about, but in this situation, we're supposed to be ministers of restoration. I know some of you are thinking like, now wait a second, we called you to be the pastor, the minister. Well, here's the funny thing about that. The elders of the church did, okay, and thank God you guys were like, cool, okay? I, I hope that's still the case, okay? It's been two years coming up. Next weekend, it'll be two years. Woo, okay, that's been fun, okay? It's been, you guys keep me around. Thank you. You don't have to do that. I'm going to clap for you because you've kept me around for that long, okay? So, and I like that, okay? Thanks for letting me stay around. So, that, that, that all being said, the, the, the ministry is not just for the elders or the pastors of a church, you want to look at the Bible, every one of us is a minister. And we're supposed to minister to one another in the local body. And part of that is not just reconciliation like of bringing people who are far away from God towards God, but we are supposed to be about bringing people in our church who stray, helping with everything that we can through prayer, through gentle correction, through teaching of God's Word, through calling one another to worship and to fellowship, to bring those who stray and wonder back to the faith. And James has really been doing this throughout this whole letter. What does he talk to them about? James has talked to them about many problems, sinful speech. You remember that whole deal about how, how great a, a, a fire can be started by one little spark? And that's how your, that's how your words are? You, if you don't believe me, Go home and talk about the biggest hot-button issue in your life, family, marriage, whatever. Just bring it up. Just say one word about it and see what happens today. You're not going to enjoy Memorial Day. I used to have my brother. I tell, you, I tell this story all the time. My dad can resonate with this. I knew one word when I was growing up that I could say to my brother 
that would make him livid and go insane. I could call him Jersh. His name was Josh. And I could call him Jersh. Dad, am I lying? If I'm lying, I'm flying, and I'm on the ground, okay? I would just go, Jersh. And he would like, ah! I mean, it was like a gremlin. Like you fed him after midnight. Like, ah! He's going to eat you, okay? And I would just go look at him, and I would just go, moron. I want to kill you, okay? Think about how, how much our speech matters, James has talked about sinful speech in the church. He's talked about disobedience to God and to, and to not being in submission to your elders. He's also talked about this. He's talking about unconcern for others. Remember the sin of partiality. You, you remember he was talking about how we are not supposed to treat others better than, than another person in the church, beca- not because they're wealthy or anything like that. We're supposed to treat each other with impartiality because God is impartial. He's talked to, to, to them and he called, called them away from worldliness. He called them away from quarreling. He called them away from error. And now he encourages every believer to take the initiative to bring back any who are wandering from the truth. And so this really is a culmination and a really fitting conclusion of saying, of, of saying put into action what I've shown you in this letter. Is that your faith, if you say you have faith and you don't have works, you've missed the boat. Faith alone saves but saving faith works. So I want you to know this. If you have a faith that's genuine and is saving, it puts itself into work and action. Part of that work and action is to call your brothers who are wandering and your sisters who are wandering away from the truth. What are we talking about the truth? It's, it's God's word, the culmination. They're wandering away from the gospel. They're running away from the, the, the revealed will of God in, seen in Scripture. If you see them wandering, you bring them back and you help to turn them back. And so every one of us here should be a minister of, rest, of restoration. And I'm going to say this several times. It is very, it's very American to, to say, mind your own business. It's very American. And I know we all like it because we like to live, we don't like to live right on top of each other. Just, if you don't believe me, just look around the area, Okay. I don't like, I'm thankful that I have a tree line that separates me from my two neighbors, okay? I'm thankful, and they're probably thankful too, because I feel like I live out in the country when I don't, okay? You need to call before you come to my house, that we might be in any various state of undress. You just got to watch out for that, okay? Don't think about that, because you might have, you might get hurt, okay? You might like puke or whatever, but just want you to know, like you think about that, we like our space from our neighbors, we don't, let somebody stand too close to you in line, at the grocery store. You're about to go hockey player on them. You're about to throw elbows. Okay, what's your problem, man? What's your deal? Like, what little kids, my, my son, he will get right up on people, like, touching them. And I'm like, Justin, you got to come away, man. Like, oh, sorry, Dad, because he doesn't get this personal, personal space bubble. We have personal space bubbles in our country, and we like to say, mind your own business, but if you are a believer in Jesus, your job is not to mind your own business, but to keep watch on one another's souls. That is not comfortable. But it's necessary. And so James here, as a culmination of all this, because he's, he's been meddling. Watch what you say. Watch being worldly. Watch being taken away by your desires. And now he further meddles at the very end, and says, and this is the culmination of all the meddling, which says, don't just take this, oh, that was a good message. Did you read, did you hear what James said? Did you hear how vivid his illustrations were? Because he was talking about how, how, how a tongue, like the little, the bridle can move a big horse. Oh, gosh, that was powerful. It hit me right here. Did you also see how a big ship, how he used that great illustration of a big ship could be moved by a tiny rudder? And that's like our tongue. Oh, my gosh. I got chills. And did you see the way in which he described how the rich, the wicked rich are going to get it? Didn't that make you want to go, yeah, eat the rich, okay? You got to put on Aerosmith on the way home, okay? Only like seven people will get that, okay? So, what I'm getting at here is that we, we want to, like, as we go, we want to clap and applaud God's word. And James is like, no, do it. Don't applaud it. Do it. And we end here, my brothers, my fellow believers, if any among you, any among you, no matter what your stage, stasis, 
their place in the church, leader down to the, the person who just come in. If anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The idea here is that if there's a wandering one, turn them back, and in so doing, you'll do great good to the person who is wandering. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. We are all prone to wonder. We have been given, if you're in Christ, you have been born again and you have a new nature. Your nature is no longer to go after the things of this world, but to go after the things of Christ. However, we are still in the, fle- in the flesh and blood that we have now. And we are going to war against the devil, and we're going to war against our own selfish, sinful desires until we are made new in glory. Whether that comes by Jesus returning or us being dead in the ground and, and us being with him until our bodies are resurrected. We will deal with that. We are all prone to wonder. In fact, you know that song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing? Have you heard that song before? It's an oldie but a goodie. Prone to wonder, one of the great lines in that is prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. That's not like wonder, like to think, oh, I'm prone to let just have daydreams. No, I'm prone to wonder away. Just like a toddler in a candy store. Cool candy, okay? Or I go to Toys R Us and you just like with a bunch of kids and see where they go. And then one's this way. Wonder, prone to walk off. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone given to, leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This is not something that is new. This is something that at Christians have dealt with for the centuries. We are prone, we are bent towards wondering. Even though the Spirit of God works in us, we're all prone to wander off. And that the wandering is an ever-present threat. And we see it, it comes from all different places. If you want to go, this word wonder is used several times in the New Testament. One of the places is in Matthew 24, which Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And it really is paralleling the coming of Christ and is getting ready. And he talks about this, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And so there's going to be people that are going to try to deceive you, that can cause you to wonder. There's Social media is a way that somebody thousands of miles from you cause you to wonder. Pinterest is a way that it could cause you to wonder. Okay, I want, I want, would you know how? You are think, you're doing everything you can to be a good wife and mother, and then you see that perfect Instagram family, you see that perfect Pinterest board, and before you know it, you are questioning everything about your existence. Well, I didn't make non-GMO gluten-free things. <sighs> And they had their kids are dressed, and my kids, they're they're in their underwear covered in mud. I don't even know how it happened. They're jumping on a trampoline at four o'clock in the morning. Okay, how did this happen? And this mom's got it together, and they made snacks, and the snacks look like things. Looks like Snoopy and other animals, and an octopus, and oh my gosh! And before you know it, you just other people have become your consuming thing. I want to be the, I want to have the Instagram family doesn't exist, except for in this image. Other people can cause us to wonder. That's just one of many examples. How else, can we, how else are we threatened to wonder? New, the news. I want to just be clear about this. There are so many people in the world who are given to conspiracy theories. Holy shnikes, everybody. If there is one, Jesus is going to take care of it one day. So you don't have to hoard your stuff and get fallout shelters, okay? Use your stuff for the glory of Jesus. And why are you so afraid about dying? Why would you want to live eating eight-year-old rice when you could be with Jesus? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? Do you think some militant organization is going to overcome the plan of God? Sell the bomb shelter and live for Jesus. I knew a, I knew a person who carried a bug out bag with him, a bug out bag with him, not in like Libya or Syria, 
but in Panama City, Florida. And I asked what the bag was for, and he said, in case of a zombie apocalypse. Dude, you're insane. Zombies aren't even real. I don't know, man. Have you ever seen a video game? For the love of everything that's holy and good, what is your problem? Sorry. Trouble and persecution? Folks, delete your news app sometime. If the first thing you say, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? Have you heard about the Fed? Have you heard about this? Just take a breather. This hop, I mean, that's not unimportant. But if you become an obsessed with it, that can, that can, that can tear you apart. Because then you take everything and you take all of your beliefs about Christianity and kind of get thrown out the window because you have you've so insaturated yourself with the news media and what everybody's doing and what the left is doing right or doing wrong and what the right's doing wrong. And before you know it, you don't even know what's right or wrong. So many things can take this away. Jesus talked about this. Go back to, go back to Matthew 24. He says there are going to be deceivers. There are going to be wars. There are going to be rumors of wars. There are going to be people coming against you. There's going to be false teachers and ministries. They're all over the place. Go turn on TBN, and you can see about 99.9% of those people on there are just trying to get your money. And they, don't, they have awful theology, not grounded in the at least grounded in part of it, but not the other part. And, and before you know it, they're trying to swindle and steal from people and make themselves rich, and their God is mammon, money, and it's not the true God. The Lord does not want to make you happy, healthy, and wise. He, want to make you, he wants you to make, him ho- make you holy and make you happy in him. Stuff will rot. Things will break. Christ will not, and they're constantly false teachers and false messiahs. Jesus called it in Matthew 24. It's persisted until this day. These things can cause us to wonder. Self-deception can cause us to wonder. James is mentioned in this book about self-deception, and we can see it in 1 John 1.8. Self-deception is real. We can think we're following after the things of God, but we're not correcting ourselves with the Bible and his word and in fellowship with one another. And before we know it, what we think we're doing it's not exactly what we are doing. Self-deception, it's like we are on the American Idol show at the beginning of that show. So remember, the self-deceived people who think they could sing, and they get up there, and they're like, I'm going to sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you're awful. And they're like, my grandmother says I'm the best singer in the world. Like, you are delusional, and your grandmother's just being nice. Or she's got a bad problem because you can't sing. And that is self-deception on a high scale. We do it to ourselves all the time. And we are, our, most of the time, our own worst enemies. And so we don't want to believe what we feel about ourselves. We want to believe what the Bible says about us. Self-deception can cause us to wonder. Our desires can cause us to wonder. Well, this just feels right. The culture thinks I should do this. Everybody else is doing this. I am so caught up in lust. I cannot do it. You might not call it lust. You might call it infatuation. You might call it love, but whatever it is, if you're going against the word of God, it's not good for you. But our desires, they tug at us and they pull us and they say, this just feels right. We're turning on. It's like we're listening to Celine Dion in the background. My heart will go on. And God's saying, your heart will lead you to death. Left unchecked, we're going to ruin ourselves. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to rationalize our behavior. I know God's Word says this, but I feel this. I bet if I do this, I'll feel good. And you will for a time, but then, before you know it, emptiness and the pain of poor decisions come in, and the pain of sin come in, and you realize you're more empty than you were in the front, and you have wandered away from the one who really loves you, and loves you enough to tell you what's right and what is wrong, loves you enough to tell you where holiness and happiness can be found. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And just not forget this, we also have, a, we have an adversary who has minions, Satan and his demons. They want us to be deceived and not to know full joy and love and life in Christ. And we are prone to wonder. And so many things are at us all the time, grabbing at us, trying to steal our joy. When I was, um, when I was a kid, my, we lived on the Air Force Academy. And uh, in Colorado Springs, and it was really a cool place to grow up. It was kind of like leave it to Beaver Land. We never had to lock up our bikes. 
because everybody was a military soldier. We had the military police around. And, like, if there was going to be stealing of bikes happening, like, somebody's dad could, like, get in huge trouble. It's like nobody stole bikes. It was really cool. Okay? So it was like leave it to Beaverland. We'd have backyard football games. It was a really cool place to live. And then on Halloween time or, you know, fall festival time, whatever you want to call it, okay, we would go up to the cadets, uh, area where they where they stayed on the actual campus and we would go up there and they would have a blast because they got to set up haunted houses and stuff for us and give us candy and they got a to scare all of us kids that would go up there it was fantastic it was a bunch of college guys just pranking their little brothers is what it was like and I remember walking into this one area, and some of these guys, they went way too far because they had, like, fake guns and stuff, and they'd put fake blood on their head and, like, really freak us out. And there was one situation in which I'm going somewhere with this, okay? I want you to know, like, what is he, t- is this, like, Matt Rimmon, this is about Halloween time? No, we're going somewhere. Went into this, they had set up chairs like these into a tunnel, kind of a labyrinth of tunnels in this room. And they had a strobe light going on, and it was dark and black, It was totally freaky, especially to a seven seven or eight-year-old. And we had to get in this tunnel and crawl around, and there were these guys that were sticking their hands out from under the the chairs. They weren't trying to grab us. They were grabbing our candy. And they were ripping the candy out of our our bag. We had so much candy that we were carrying it in pillowcases, okay? It was a king's ransom full of candy back in the day, okay? Everybody was, it was like almost required that they participate in these events, okay? So we had so much candy. These guys were like, yeah, they're grabbing the good stuff too, like greases, and you're trying to fight them off, you know, with whatever you have. Before you know it, by the time you made it through, you thought you were going to get candy. By the time you made it out, half your candy's gone. Those guys were just geniuses. I wish I'd have thought of it. That is what our desires in this world is like. It's like a bunch of hands trying to rip away our joy. And we are prone to wonder. And so the fact that James mentions here in James 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, he is not thinking this is something that could happen. This is something that does happen. That people do wonder away from the truth. And all of us are prone to it. If you think you are not prone to it, you do not know yourself very well or you're not being honest with yourself. Prone to wonder is something that we are. And it is our job as a community of believers and what this really passage is teaching is our job as a community of, community of believers is not to mind our own business and look, oh, isn't that sad? Or to say, bless their heart. Look how much they're sinning, or to talk about their ha- or talk about them via prayer request. You know what I'm talking about. You need to pray for so and so because they are, they got a really bad crack problem. Okay, I mean, I mean, whatever. Okay, whatever you use to to just get that to talk about that person, and you know, sometimes we use prayer requests to talk about other people, which is not good. That is not how we are to behave. In fact, the passage encourages us and commands us and exhorts us, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul. Now, let's be clear. There's some ambiguity about this verse. The person who brings back a sinner helps restore them. They are not receiving the benefits talked about in verse 20, this saving of the soul from death and the covering of a multitude of sins. What they are receiving is the blessing of seeing somebody who was in their community who professed Christ but now is wondering really come back and to know that they are truly in Christ and that they will know forgiveness of sins, and that God will receive them, and they'll know restoration. Does that make sense? The motivation for us to do that is not a self-motivation, although there are, there are great rewards for us who obey, which is amazing, because God doesn't owe us rewards. You know that, right? He just gives them out of the sheer bounty of his grace, because all of us deserve hell. The fact that we get anything above that is just so ultimately mercy and grace, you can't understand it. And that, the fact that we become heirs to the throne, and not only that, is that our good works, they, they, they are rewarded by him. He, he doesn't owe us anything. That's like paying your kid who's in trouble to do the lawn. Like, I'm going to get you're in trouble. Go do the lawn. 
And then you pay them money to do the lawn, and then they ask you, where's your reward? How ungrateful would they be to ask for a reward? But that is how great and loving and lavish the work and the grace of Jesus is. He was like, not only am I going to forgive you of your transgressions, I'm going to give you my inheritance. And guess what? The more you do, I want to reward you too. That is unbelievable. But this reward here, the reward here is not a, a, a selfish reward in which you're going to get salvation and you're somehow going to add to your salvation. We cannot add, a, add anything to our salvation. It's all by grace alone through faith alone. But what we can do is we can restore someone who's claimed Christianity because he talks about brothers and someone who's in the group and now has wandered away. Those who have claimed Christianity and we, if we work and restore them, help them turn back to Christ, they will know full restoration through Jesus. And we get that joy of seeing that happen. This same word wonder is used in Luke cha- or Matthew chapter 18 talking about the parable of the lost sheep. Have you, ever, have you ever heard that parable before? It's got the 99 sheep and the one lost sheep who has wandered away. The wandering could be the act of the will. They, they wanted to wander away. Or could it be a deception? We don't know. It could be both. And the, the, the lamb, if you've ever seen a sheep or a lamb, they're dumb creatures and they have no real, no real way of protecting themselves. And what do you have? The shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one who has wandered away. And so what we have a picture here is that the church is continuing the work of Christ in bringing back sinners who are far away. Now, how does this happen? Well, we don't, he doesn't give us step-by-step instructions on how this happened. Other places in the New Testament tell us to do it, and they give us some examples. One is to pray, to pray fervently for people who have strayed and gone far away. One is to, to gently rebuke the person. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Get that? Restore him in the spirit of gentleness. This is not, hey, punk, what the heck? You know what you've been doing? You need to be more like me. Be more holy, son. I'm more holy than you are. Get your act together. Now, sometimes that might work with another guy, okay, if you're two guys talking. But I want you to get it. That is not the spirit of gentleness, and that's, I'm telling you, that's why there's so much shrapnel around here because there hasn't been a lot of gentleness and restoration in these areas. Restoration is necessary. Gentleness is also necessary. The way in which you go about doing the restoration and the intent behind it is just as important as the fact that you do it. You don't believe me? Check Jesus. He says it all the time. Look at that Sermon on the Mount. It's not, it's not only enough that you don't commit adultery, but if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed it. You see, your, our, our, very, our very motivations have to be lined up with our doing. And so this can't be this way of restore, restoring another believer is not a way in which we make ourselves look better. It's a way in which we care and watch for their, the, the person's souls. Galatians, 1, Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself as you're restoring other people, lest you too be tempted with self-righteousness or thinking that you have sometimes earned some kind of meritous work because you're restoring other people. He says this, this is amazing. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christianity, you lose some of your right to privacy in Christianity. Because our job as a community of believers is not to mind our own business, but to watch, keep watch on each other's souls. My brothers, James, James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will leave his soul, will 
save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so I want you to know this. This is very important. Our work as ministers of restoration is essential for the perseverance of the saints. Or another way you could put it is it's essential that those who are Christians remain Christians. Now, some of you are going, wait a second. I've always been taught, once saved, always saved. I've always been taught about the eternal security of the believer. Another better way to talk about that is to call it the perseverance of the saints. And I believe that wholeheartedly, but I think we have a misunderstanding of what it means that once Christ makes us alive through the new birth, we we misunderstand how he keeps us until the day of salvation. A guy, a, a, a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem put it this way, okay? The perseverance of the saints means, I think we had this up, hey, thank you. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Now, don't miss this. This is very important that you understand this. Everybody who Christ makes alive and who have responded to him by faith, he will keep in his power until the very end. But, look at this last part, and that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. How do you show outwardly that of the inner reality that you have been saved and you have been kept by Christ is that you stay in him until the end? This is the question of two passages of Scripture, of many passages of Scripture, but two, that, that teach both of these truths. They are compatible truths, but they need to be understood, okay? And here it is. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. What's that promise? He will keep you until the day. He's started to work in you. He's going to continue it through. So that's the promise, right? We'll stay to the end. We have eternal security, okay? However, there's another passage of Scripture and several other ones just like that, but Hebrews 3.14 says this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, now listen, this is important, don't wash this away, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you're in Christ, you've been born again, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, you are his, he will persevere you to the end. However, if you don't remain in him and remain in his truth, it shows that you are never a believer in the first place. And that is a wonderful thing for us because it helps us understand who's in danger and who is not. I, how many of you know somebody that you say, well, they were saved, but they don't go to church and their life doesn't reflect that? Well, unless they return... They're actually showing that they have not been saved at all. And then, do you know what that means? That you should go and try to convert them to Christ or restore them back. Because those who are saved will remain. And one of the ways, see, God, we we believe this in the Bible, that God's a healer, right? It's all in the Bible. He heals some people through miraculous means, right? But we know this today. He still heals people miraculously. I believe that to be true. But I also know this. He uses means, practical means, to save people. The Lord uses his people as a means to keep those who are being saved, saved. We are a divine means to keep one another in the faith. That changes how we view coming to church. I'm not, we're not just sitting here to be like, man, heard the sermon, heard the music, that was awesome. 
you're not just here for yourself to worship God. You are here to call your, all your other brothers and sisters to worship God too and to take, find the ones who are straying. That's my job as an elder, but it's your job as a believer as well. Because this doesn't say elders, it says brothers, which means those who are in Christ, to call them back. Now, this must be done in a spirit of gentleness. This may be done <clears throat> slowly. This must be done in love. This must be done with the right heart. This must, not, this must be careful in watching ourselves that we don't become uh, arrogant in the faith or we don't, we're not self-righteous or hypocritical. It must be done, though, in love. And the Lord uses us as divine means to help all the people in our local congregation and all the people who believed in Christ, we are there to help push each other on and persevere each other and extort, exhort each other, not extort, exhort each other. Somebody was caught, that was prosperity gospel for a second there. Exhort each other to go on in the faith. That changes it. God uses us as one of his primary means in which we will stay in the faith. That's why church discipline is part of that. That's why the, that's why the scriptures are preached and taught for the, for the reproof, correction, and training of those in righteousness for every good work. It's so, it's so much more important than, hey, did you check the box off and you show up at church? You not being here? And you not watching out for one another? It affects another person's salvation. Now, the Lord will persevere them. I hope, you, I hope you understand this. I believe that once Christ makes you born again, you're born again. But the way he keeps you, perseveres you in your faith, is his word, his spirit, and his people. That makes the church, like, so much more than we thought it was. It's like a, it's a community to be involved in, and our salvation depends on each other in some extent. It all depends on God. But, it's, but he uses each one, he, uses, we, he uses us to persevere one another. Oh, man. If you want to hear some great messages on Hebrews chapter 3, just go, just go podcast John Piper's message on Hebrews chapter 3. He's preached it eight times. It'll blow your mind. I podcasted one of them while I was mowing the grass. Yeah, that's <laughs> like... Let's get some Jesus in there while I mow the grass. And I was just, I had to stop and be like, brain, this is so true. And how have, we, how have I just not seen that so clearly? That the Lord uses each, uses each of us as believers to encourage the other one on in faith. And so when James writes this, this whole letter is, and every time we're together preaching God's words, it's for our souls, people. We are prone to wonder, but the Lord is persevering and working us to make us more like Christ and to make sure we remain. And the way, one of the ways he uses, one of the ways he keeps us in himself is through his word and the ministry of his people and the power of his spirit. Because we're all prone to wonder, but the Lord uses us to bring each other back. And so this passage, James hears, brothers, if any of you among you is wandering from the truth and is far away, and someone brings him back, let him know this. That whoever brings back, brings back a cinder from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That if we bring someone back, we have saved them from the misery of hell. And it was all part of God's plan to persevere that person in the first place. Oh, how important the local church is. How important it is that we meet together as believers and we hear the word and we're corrected by the word. How important is it that we pray for one another? How important is it that when we see somebody going away, that those of us who are spiritual will go to that person gently and, and, with, and with love in our eyes and love in our hearts to restore them back to Christ. Not to be punitive and not to say, you did wrong, now we're going to whoop you, okay? No, it's to come back because you are in danger and there's so much goodness and love in Christ. Come home. Come back. One of the guys who was most influential in my faith, in, in my faith was my youth pastor when I was growing up. I followed him down to Gainesville, or High Springs, where I met my wife, which that was a big deal. And um, I was intern at the church that he was the youth pastor. He was the youth pa my youth pastor, Panama City. He moved, and when I got out of when I got out of high school, I went down there and interned and went to church at the church that he was serving at, First Baptist High Springs. There, I found some great people. Found my wife, my my 
my in law, my in laws, everybody. It was cool. It's now part of my life. But about three or four years later, after I had gone down there, me and this guy were just tremendous friends. Some stuff came out. In his life, he had been hiding a secret life of sin. He'd been running around on his wife, all the while administering a church, running around on his wife, doing all sorts of terrible things. This all came out in kind of a scandalous way where they couldn't prove it. It broke the church up down there. Lost about 100 people went went somewhere because some people were supporting him and some people couldn't. I mean, I was blind too. I supported him at first too. Thought I was blind, but I guess I was blind. I did not see all the sin that was in his life. After all this had come out, I couldn't even bring myself to talk to this guy. He was so, I felt so betrayed. I felt like the person that I knew was dead because he was nothing like I thought he was. I ran into him in Target in Gainesville. We were buying stuff to go on a mission trip to Haiti. Well, also mission trip slash my brother and sister-in-law were getting married, okay? So we were buying stuff, and he comes up to me like nothing has happened. Hey, man, how are you? I cannot tell you all the emotions that went into my body. Rage, thankfulness for seeing him. I had like this conflicting thing, you know, like, oh, it's my friend, but I want to punch him in the throat because he has messed up so many people's lives. And you know what I did? I will tell you, this is not good. This is not smooth. This is not what really should have happened. But I was just like, no. And I walked off. And I left my wife, my wife and her mom standing there with this guy. And I just said, no, I'm not talking to you. And I left. I went outside and I got in the car. In fact, I sat on the hood of the car and it was 112 degrees because Florida is as hot as all get out. Okay, it was the summertime. I burnt my legs sitting on that car. I'm like, I'm not talking to that guy. Well, they knew better. They didn't, t- didn't talk to me, rebuke me, or anything right then because they know it would have been bad news. About a week later, I sent him a message. And I apologized to him. I said, I can't, I can't meet you face to face. I just I can't do it. But I implored him to come to Christ and to turn from what he was doing. And he laughed at me and swore at me. And that was the last time I saw him. I still think about that. That's been nine years. I don't hold any grudge anymore because of the grace of God in my life and the perseverance that he's done, worked in me through his word and other people and the work of the Spirit. But I will want you, I really want you to see wondering is real. We are prone to it. God uses his people, his word, his spirit to keep us in the faith, to remain Christians. And if he's begun a good work in you, it will be completed until the day of Christ Jesus. One day that will be seen, the way that it is seen as true and real is if you remain in the fellowship of believers and you remain in the truth. And how does that happen? One of the many ways is God uses one another and to turn a sinner from their way is very important. I want you to see the, the, the fact that sin is deadly. Hell is real. Punishment is due. In Christ, there is life and love, and Christ perseveres us through his people. It can happen to wandering, can happen to pastors and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and anybody. But restoration is available in Christ. So here's how I want to stand. I'm going to invite the band up today. And we don't usually do this, but I want to call us to severe prayer today. So, Ben, come on up. And here's the two ways that we can respond to this. First off, Christian, those who are following Jesus, are you wondering? Are you far away? I want you to know something. There could be some real danger to your soul. Do not stay in sin any longer. Return to the Lord. And remember what we read at communion time. A broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. So will you pray and will you return to the Lord of your salvation? Will you turn away from that sin and come back to Him? Secondly, believer, do you know a brother or sister who is wandering from the truth? I want to invite you to pray for them 
right now, and then go to them soon. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. If that's you, also just let me extend this to anybody who's not a believer, by the way. If you are far from Christ, you're in danger of hell. And and I, I pray you come to him. Don't wait till you get better. Don't wait till you have it together. You will not ever get it together on your own. You need Christ. Turn from your sins and trust him and his work, and you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how I want us to do this. If you have somebody on your heart or you have some sin that you have this deep-seated in here, you might want to grab somebody to come pray with you. You don't have to necessarily spill the beans right now. If there's somebody on your heart that you know is wandering and you want to pray for them, there's nothing special. These are steps. These are carpet-covered. This is a mess up here. This is old. <laughs> we just covered it with carpet. Down here is brand-new construction, okay? This is just steps. It's not an altar. We don't need an altar. Christ was the once for all sacrifice. But if you want to make a, a symbolic move and come down here and pray, while the song's going on, come and pray. If you're wondering, come and pray. If you know someone who's wondering, bring it down here. You don't have to do that. You pray exactly where you are. God hears you just as good there as he does here. But sometimes it's something cathartic, not even just cathartic. There's something special about symbolically getting up and doing something and going and praying for that person. And we're going to pray and we're going to sing and then we're going to wrap up with offering. But I just want us to take this time that we would just respond because it's a call to action at the end of this passage to restore people. And the Lord uses our prayers to restore people. The Lord uses our witness to restore people. He accepts our repentance when we come with a broken and contrite heart. He is so good to us. And so on on this time, let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You respond however you want to. You can come down here, pray right there. But let us do business with God at these moments. So let's stand together and I'll pray. Father, help us see truth. Help us run from error. And God, we pray you would bring the wanderers home, whoever they may be. For the glory of your name and the good of their souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. song I sing, 
more than the next heartbeat, more than anything, more than the air I breathe, more than the song I sing, more than the next heartbeat, more than anything, more than the air I breathe, more than the song I I need you. 